The Old Testament reading today is from 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we see the Ark of the Covenant coming into the tent in Jerusalem. This Ark symbolizes the presence of God. And David, as David is wont to do, cannot stop praising God. You'll, you'll recognize some of these words if you read the whole psalm that he wrote beginning at verse 8. You'll recognize them as being from other psalms, but I'm going to just read a chunk in the middle, near the end actually, which shows us the sovereignty of God and why it is that all should worship him. So listen to the word of God. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's good. You, you got to answer like a Ugandan. Amen? Amen? Amen. There we go. Good. This is so exciting. God is sovereign, and there's no excuse for the whole world not to worship him except for the sin that remains in the world. So, Brothers and sisters, as we continue to worship and as we hear God's word preached, I pray that you would think about these things in your hearts. Thank you. As we dwell upon what it is that God deserves, we also remember that in order to bring that to himself, in order to bring that glory because of our sin, he set out in order to save a people for himself. He did this by dying in our place for our sin. We remember that as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to be doing next week. And so I would encourage you to meditate on these things. Prepare yourself as we look to the next Sunday, next Lord's Day, when we gather together and, and feast with the Lord, commune with him in the Lord's table, that you would meditate on and dwell on how much it is true that the Lord is worthy of his worship, worthy of your worship, just as he's worthy of the worship of the whole world. Siabonga, Bayadonki, Nyo. If I said... Muchas gracias, you'd understand what I just said. Zulu, Afrikaans, and Luganda, but uh, words cannot express our thanks to you uh, for being with us 
these many years in the mission field. And I hope you, could, you have been with us in prayer, and I pray someday you could be with us in person. Uh, so, so take that as an invitation. If you have been waiting for somebody to invite you to go on a missions trip, I just did. As, as the pastor said, I am Bert Williams. Uh, I'm here with my wife, Nancy. I'm teaching elder in the Chesapeake Presbytery, but I am a Kenosha boy, and uh, I even worked in a Packer reference, and so if you're, a, if you're not a Packer fan, I humbly apologize, but uh, if you are a Packer fan, you know what I mean. Anyway, today we will be looking at Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. The resurrected Jesus told his disciples where to go, and they listened, the 11 that were left, they listened, and they met him there, and he gave them their marching orders, their command. We're going to, this is more of a topical sermon today in that we're going to be looking at some of the implications of it. I'm not going to exposit every niche part of this verse, but I'm going to say something serious about it, but I want you to listen as I read. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. And they came and said to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the ability to think about it, to consider it, to, for me to preach and for us all to listen. And may, may you be pleased with our thoughts, Father, and not only that, but may you be pleased with our actions as a result of our thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I work with Ugandan pastors in their churches, and, and this might seem like a strange question to begin uh, working with them, but I always ask them, what is your church for? Why does it exist? What's, what's its purpose? And you know, I get, I get a wide variety of answers, you know. Um, they, they, some are very honest with me and they say, well, you know, we have, we have children's ministry and we have youth ministry and we have women's ministry. Ugandan church is not so much on men's ministry, but, but you know, we're working on that. And that's good. You know, a church should be doing those things. That's not necessarily bad. And then they'll, you know, I push a little more and they'll say, well, it's to save the lost. Well, okay, good enough. I mean, but what are you, why are you saving them? 
so they don't go to hell. Okay, well, what else? And I keep pushing, and I keep asking. And you know, once I push back a little bit, they start scratching, oh, it's to encourage the saints. You know, it's important when you gather to worship to, I mean, to, to encourage one another, to build one another up on Sunday morning so that you can be recharged to go back out into the world. And I push back a little more and, and they'll say, well, you know, we do baptisms and weddings and burials, you know, the old hatch, match, and dispatch, you know, that's true in Uganda as it is here. Um, yeah, okay, and I keep pushing and we finally get to worship. It takes a long time sometimes. It takes a long time and, and I've heard lots of different things. And in this passage, we're going to be looking at a, and what this passage teaches us about the purpose of a church. And like I said, it's not, it's not fully the intent of this passage, but I believe Matthew does bring this out. I'm not putting anything in there that's not there, but we'll see in this passage the ministry of worship. The ministry of evangelism. Churches need to do evangelism. I don't ever want you not to be doing evangelism. The ministry of ingathering, of building a community. I know I, I don't have much experience with American churches lately because I'm in Uganda, but I, I, I read a lot of tweets or whatever they're called now. And, and uh, it seems like community building is a big deal in the church nowadays. We all want to belong to a community of believers. And, and that's, that's here, and we'll look at what that means. And then the ministry of growth, of spiritual growth. We need to, as believers, grow deep roots in Christ. All of this, though, is for us to be worshipers of God. And so that's, that's where we're going to begin this morning. Look at what happened in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. The risen Savior had said, go to this mountain and, and I will meet you there. They had already been in contact with him, and yet they saw him and they worshiped him. It's the natural response of creatures in the presence of their creator. That's why we read that first Chronicles passage. Ascribe to the Lord great greatness. Ascribe to the Lord praise. Praise the Lord. Even in Psalm 67, we, we read, let the nations be glad. It's a natural response. But more than that, it's the future. It is our future. If, if you want to think about this, Revelation chapter 7. This is, a, this is a great balm to a missionary soul, Revelation 7, verses, um, let's see, oh, where are my notes? Well, that's, no wonder it's not there. I turned too many pages, sorry. Verses 9 through 11. This, this, is, uh, this is what gives a missionary hope because we know what the end is. It's, it's the end. Great multitudes from every nation, 7, 9 through 11. After this, I looked, 
and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and is and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, Blessed, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 You can say it. You're going to say it someday. You might as well get used to it now. Amen. There we go. There we go. We have in, um, in our future worship. And we ought not to be waiting. It is our present as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's our, it's our present and it is our future, praising God. I, I, someone asked me last night, how do I handle uh, downtimes, discouragement? You know, missionaries, that was a very perceptive question, missionaries get very discouraged. And I said, sometimes the hardest thing for me is recognizing when I am discouraged. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you can, you get just, you get, it gets to be kind of natural and you get to be, you know, you did. Um, Nancy said something earlier this week. She said, my spiritual gift was grumbling. <laughs> I was a little bit taken aback, but it's somewhat true. But what, what is it? What tells you that you're in that state? What is it that tells you you're having trouble. For me, it is my heart when I don't want to worship. When I'm just not into singing Rock of Ages cleft for me because for some reason it doesn't feel like it's mine. But we were saved to worship God. Second, uh, First Peter chapter 2 tells us, this is, I love this man, I probably will cry, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are a people in Christ for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Pastors I work with always get to this point, but it's not where they start. And I get, I, when someday I'm going to find one that tells me we, we do evangelism for, for the saving of souls so that God can make worshipers. But not yet. I, I will find one. You keep praying. To proclaim the excellencies. We are grateful. I am grateful that I will have an eternity with God in Christ. I don't have, I don't have hell. 
to look forward to. But I also know that I was created to worship him. And that is a marvelous thing. When we first went to, to South Africa, we went and visited, we were, we were in Kwandabeli, that was the region we were in, and we went to visit the Indabeli queen. Now normally we would visit the king, the tribal chief, the Indabeli tribal chief, but he had just, he had died like two months earlier. Uh, and so her, her son was going to be the king, but first he had to finish high school. <laughs> he, he had just turned 18, but he was a senior in high school and he had to finish. So he wasn't the king and he was at school. We were going to visit his mother, the queen mother. And going before the king takes some work. Going before the queen takes some preparation. First thing, my son Gregory and I were there, and Nancy, Nancy went off with the women, and Gregory and I went off with the men. And the, the men, in this case, were the queen's security guards, the bodyguards. They, they had to interview us, make sure we were okay. And they asked all about my ancestry. Tell us about your father. Where are you from? Why are you here? What's your purpose? What's, what's your aim? Why are you visiting the queen today? We were visiting the queen. It's complicated, and you can ask me later. I'll explain this. But the king's fifth wife was the niece of the family we were staying with. Okay? Polygamy is kind of common, and the king's fifth wife was the niece, and so we were going to visit her. But you can't visit the fifth wife of the king without visiting the first wife. Okay? So anyway, so the, the, the bodyguards knew we were Americans. I don't know why. <laughs> um, might have been the sneakers I have. If you go overseas and you see somebody in sneakers, you can greet them as an American. Um, that's, that's it. But anyway, so they decided to teach us how to greet the queen. In this case, it was the queen mother, but she was still called the queen. And there was a phrase we had to learn in Zulu, we learned a lot of phrases in Zulu, and if you have ever seen the movie Shaka Zulu, you have heard this phrase. It's Bayete, and you bend down. Bayete, and when she acknowledges you, you can stand up again. It's not uncommon to have to go through a ritual in order to meet the king and to praise the king, and we do it here. We have a call to worship. We're called into God's presence in this time of worship. We have an opening prayer. We confess that we are not really worthy to come into his presence. But we come in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and we don't say by A.T. I, I used to know what it means, but it's something like praise you or, you know, whatever. It's, it's a powerful thing. And we hear the king speak through the reading of God's word. And we present our petitions to the king, and we sing praises to his name. Our worship services are designed, and I praise God for PCA churches. I, I, Michael had sent me the bulletin earlier this week, but I, I, I didn't have to worry about it. The service is designed around an idea 
And if you look at this, you know, we have a call to worship, let the nations be glad. We have, be thou my vision. You, you, if you were going to do missions, you need a vision for that. And, and that vision is only, it's not, it is, you know, to reach the lost, but more than that, it is to make worshipers for God. We receive grace. We hear the king speak. We respond through our tithes and offerings, through more singing. It is all organized around a focus on praising God. And that's, that's the beginning of the purpose of the church. And, and ultimately, it's the end of the purpose of the church. You know, we have on Sunday morning a, an amazing opportunity. And we, I, again, I've already confessed I'm a grumbler and I don't always worship like I should. So, so I'm not trying to guilt you into feeling something like I'm perfect. I'll tell you, it's hard. But every Sunday when we gather for worship, it is a little bit like a dress rehearsal. It's a little bit like praising God. We are really and truly praising God now, but there's coming a time when it's not just on Sunday morning from 9 to 10.20. It's coming a time when it is how we do it. So we come into his presence with awe and reverence. And Matthew is honest. Uh, he reports that, but some doubted. <laughs> I thank God for that because sometimes I come into his presence and my heart's not there. Um, you can pray for me. If that's shocking for you, please pray for me, but I think it's not shocking unless you're lying to yourself. But anyway, I don't want to get that. But it's not, it's not just for, for Sunday, but it is an important part of what the church does is worship. And if out, without the worship, you are not, you are not being the church. Historically, uh, there were three marks of a true church. And all of a sudden, my brain went flat, but I know two of them. Preaching of God's word and the sacraments and discipline. Thank you, Michael. I, thought I saw him going, and it's a little too far away to read his lips. Preaching of God's word, the sacraments, and church discipline are the accurate a true process of church. All of those are organized actually around worship. We want to bring before God true worshipers of who God is. So it's what the church is about. That's the Belgic Confession, Article 29 or something like that, somewhere around there. Um, if I couldn't remember them, I, I don't want to uh, quote it too carefully. But then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I, I, you, you know this. If somebody gives you a command, you need to know by what authority, right? When a policeman you know, holds out his hand to stop, you have to stop, and his authority is typically on a badge on his chest. That's his authority. Here Jesus is saying, all authority is on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I can tell you what to do now because I have the authority. And he says, go and make disciples. And, and it, 
I, I would, it wouldn't be a mission sermon if I didn't say it's as you are going, but, but I'm not going to make too big a deal about it. But it's making disciples that the church needs to do. What is the end of the making disciples? Worship, right? But how do you make disciples? Jesus goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he gives us an idea, but he says, make disciples. And I want to tell you that the first step in making disciples is evangelism. And that's why so many people get confused. And it's very, very, very true in Africa. So many African churches think they are making disciples when they do evangelism. And that's all they do. I had a man working for me one time who I uh, was praying with, with the pastor, with a pastor on our porch. It was early on a Saturday morning and we were praying and, and he was the night guard for us and he came round and I said, Casita, how are you doing? And he said, I'm having nightmares. Oh, that's bad. And his English was very bad. So my, my, my uh, Ugandan pastor that we were praying with, he, he started talking to him in Luganda and talking about why, what his dreams were. And they were evil spirits bothering him and everything. So, so Ben, the pastor, shared the gospel with him. And Casita, the guard, said, oh, I know that. I have been saved five times. <laughs> ben talked to him about why that wasn't exactly true <laughs> and taught him a little bit more about what it meant to be saved and, and Casita prayed. And Casita started going to Ben's church and learning what it meant to be a disciple. It's the first step, it's not the last step. Casita had heard often and often and often. Uh, John Piper wrote a book, Let the Nations Be Glad, and it begins with the statement that says, missions exists because worship doesn't. And I paraphrase it for the purpose of this sermon and say that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Now, yes, our hearts should burn for the lost. But why? Because they are missing God. They are missing the great God. They are not seeing who he is, and they will spend an eternity without him. Our evangelism is directed to make worshipers. Now this involves the proclamation that gospel is foreign news. If you are not in Christ, you don't have a clue. We, we are saved by grace alone. People want to work to save my, my father. Every time I talk to him about the gospel and, and sons, I will tell you, it gets discouraging sometimes talking to your parents about the gospel, but he would always tell me how good he was. That was his metric. My dad wasn't exactly that good, but you know, son doesn't have the authority to tell him that. People want to earn their salvation, but, but the salvation, the gospel is simple. I have a hand, <laughs> watch this. There's one God, creator of all things. 
He is worthy of praise. But there is a big problem, tall man. The big problem is our sin that separates us from God. But this is a very abbreviated gospel. But there is this ring finger, which in my case has a wedding ring on it. If you're male and married and you have a wedding ring, it is a promise that God has made through his covenant that he sent his son to be a savior for us. And that is ours through that little finger, the small thing of faith. So that in Christ, through faith in Christ, we can be saved. Or as some people have, someone has said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, where to find bread. It's not that complicated. It is the first step in making disciples. And it's to be a natural part of our daily walk. Go, as you are going, make disciples. I warned you about the Packer illustration. If you're my age, you remember the 60s and I played football and I was a right guard. I gotta look around to see the right aged man who could tell me, who remembers Jerry Kramer. Jerry Kramer was my idol and I would talk about him for hours. It was natural for me. I mean, who talks about a right guard, right? Paul Horning, Bart Starr, all of those guys. Nah, I was, I was a guard, I, I, I've always been big. And they just put me in the middle of an offensive line and I just got in the way of everything. That was my job. I loved, I loved football and I loved the Packers. I, I was so excited. It wasn't hard to get me to talk about the Packers at the time. It was easy. You can see where I'm going with this. If Christ is everything to you, it should be easy. Now, again, I confessed before, I, I, I probably shouldn't confess, you'll stop supporting us, I shouldn't confess too much, but I'm not, certainly I have been, I'm a better evangelist than I used to be, but, but I had to start one time praying, God, I need to share the gospel more, help me be more outgoing. And I was praying that often. And God, God brought Eric to our front door one, late one Sunday night, and he knocked on the door. Eric was a neighbor. We lived in the inner city of Baltimore, and Eric was a corner drunk. But he was married to a Patricia, but she had kicked him out, so he was on the corner even more. She had a job. She was tired of supporting his drinking. And he came and knocked on the door, and said, Bert, you didn't tell me that you were a seminary student. Okay, sorry about that, Eric. And he said, Patricia told me that I can't come home until I know Jesus. You gotta tell me about Jesus. All right, as you were going, right? So the standard evangelism training says, well, don't wait for him to knock on your door, but I can tell you that they do sometimes knock on your door. Eric 
uh, heard about Jesus that night, but he was a little too drunk. He heard about Jesus. He ended up, you know, honestly, I don't know where he is now. He's, last I heard, he was in Warren, Ohio with Patricia. Uh, but they had, they had moved on. They had gotten back together. He went to a, into a program to get dried out, Teen Challenge. I don't know if you've heard of them, but he went into that and, and uh, came to Christ. But, you know, sometimes people do knock on your door, but I'm telling you that's an exception. <laughs> that's an exception but just talk about what's important I mean I failed Eric in a number of ways he didn't know that I was a seminary student um, I hadn't gotten to him before that point but I did and again the end of this evangelism is making worshipers making people not making people but training people that their end is worshiping God coming to Christ does mean a change in your life and most importantly, praising the Savior is a big part of it. So that's the ministry. The ministry of worship is the ministry of upreach, right? We, we're, we're African now, you can pretend, but worshiping is raising your hands to the Almighty God, worship. Ministry of outreach is reaching out, all right? How are we going to do this baptism thing? Well, the Shorter Catechism, question 94, which is on page 876, if you want to confirm with me, says that baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost doth signify and seal our ingrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. It's a sign and a seal that we are in Christ, that we are part of Christ that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood in Christ, and that we have the benefits of the covenant of grace. R.C. Sproul, in a book called Truths We Confess, says, in a sense, God is saying, this is a sign by which I am cleansing you. I am setting you apart to receive all the things I have for you in Christ, if you have faith in him. If you do not have faith, this is a sign that you are being inundated in the flood of God's wrath. One of the benefits of the covenant is that we are engrafted into Christ, that baptizing them brings us into Christ, and in Christ we have brothers and sisters. I, I must have said this to you before. I, I know I have, because early days when, when, when I was, we visited churches, I just could not get over the fact that missionaries are the most blessed people in the world, because anywhere there is a Christian, we have a brother or a sister. You know what that's like? You go into a new town or a new community and you find the believers and you have family. Now, does it work that way always? 
not so much. You know, I have a, I've got a big hairy beard and long hair, and that doesn't sit well with some types of believers. But, you know, we, I know that, and I get that. I don't always have a big hairy beard. I'm overdue for a haircut, so. But anyway, the, the idea is that in our baptism, which is just a sign and a seal, but it's a mark that we are different in Christ and that we belong to him. And not only do we belong to him in Christ, our union with Christ means that we are together a body. And, and so, you know, the, the easiest, uh, well, I have, a, I have a definition of, of a, of a disciple-making that involves four commands of Christ, teaching them to obey. Well, no, that's, that's the next thing, but th there are three loves in those commands. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. And the fourth command is make disciples, by the way, in case you're wondering. But, but it is the love that we have for one another that distinguishes us from the world. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this, so we have worship, upreach. We have, we have evangelism, outreach. The third one, baptizing, is the ministry of inreach. It is bringing people into the family of God. It is loving them as brothers and sisters. It is loving them as Christ has loved us. Now I have an older, I had an older sister, she passed away, but Judy and I loved each other like crazy. We loved each other so much that I tried to kick her one time, missed and broke my toe on the wall. Uh, that's, that's brotherly love. My mother had a unique way of disciplining us when we fought. She would take us after, after she could get control. I would get so mad sometimes. She would too. She would egg me on. She was older. Older sisters, if you're a younger brother, you know this. Older sisters pick on you all the time. And you kick back. Mothers don't like that. She took us and sat us down at the kitchen table Judy on one side, Bert on the other. We couldn't talk, we just had to look at each other. My mother was counting on the fact that we loved each other so much that pretty soon we'd be laughing. And it sure enough, it never failed after five or 10 or 15 minutes. We'd just be split in the gut. And then, you know, we'd have to apologize and give each other a hug and we could move on. You know, sometimes just because you're related doesn't mean you love each, you act like you love each other all the time. But we need to. It is the enfolding of believers together. That's the ministry of inreach. It's the ministry of love. And the final one is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now again, in, in Uganda, teaching is often equated with lecturing. But if you look at how Jesus taught, he did not. He, he did formal lecturing. The Sermon on the Mount looks kind of like a formal lecture. But he, he taught with actions. He healed. He fed people. 
He taught by modeling the centurion. He, he, uh, he pointed to this faith of the centurion and he said, look at that model. You need to have faith like that. He modeled by walking on water. He said, you know, called Peter out and Peter started to sink. He gave them practical experience. He sent out the 12. He sent out the 70. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom towards the end that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Mature believers worshiping the one true God. That is the aim of our ministries. We have Sunday school, we have youth group, we have children's ministries, we have women's, maybe you have men's as well. All of them have some component, and I'm fair, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm fairly sure all of them have some component of teaching so that you can observe what Christ has done. And that is the ministry of downreach. It is the ministry of growing roots. It is the ministry of being firmly established in a foundation, making disciples by God's grace. So those are the four ministry areas of a church that was created to worship God. But if you only do worship, if you only gather for worship with none of the other ones, you soon become a very shallow church. You soon direct your focus on feeling good, on praising God, on dancing, on singing. And I don't, um, if you only do evangelism, you end up being immature. I got called on one time by a denomination to go visit a, a church in South Africa. And I spent a long time with James, the church planter. Every, he had a room that, a building that seated about 40 people. And at the beginning of the year, he'd have 40 people. At the end of the year, he'd have 40 people, but they were 40 different people. He had a front door and a back door. (laughs) People kept coming in the front door at about the same rate they went out the back door, and they wanted to know what was going on. Well, I found out James was a gifted evangelist, but he had no clue what to do with people that got saved. And we talked for a long time about how to do disciple making and everything. And he finally decided that wasn't who he was. He was an evangelist and that's what he was gonna do. So he moved on, they brought a new pastor in to make disciples. A church that focuses only on loving, only on bringing people and hugging them, soon becomes ingrown. Soon they just love each other and they don't want They don't want anybody to come in and get involved, you know, the holy huddle idea, which we've all, well, not all of us, but if you've been a Christian for long enough and been in enough churches, you've been there. It's very nice until you realize that there's nobody new in the church for the last 10 years and the old people are dying and there's no young people. And then there's the learning only church. I was part of this too one time. The church was an inch wide and a mile deep. You could talk in this church about, to any member about infralapsarian and supralapsarian, and Michael will tell you all about what that means. But you talk to your average member in that church and they knew what it meant and they had a position. They were, they were, they had learned 
you know, as I have subsequently learned to say, we were educated beyond our obedience. <laughs> you have to be careful. You, you can be educated beyond your obedience. So worship, evangelism, loving and learning, I, you, you probably figured out that spells well. And at the end of the day, that's what a healthy church is. And I'll put in a plug for Sunday school. You'll, you'll learn some more about well in Sunday school. So come, come for that. But it, we exist to make disciples, but not just making disciples to make followers of Jesus, but followers of Jesus who worship God. For me, that's one of the great joys about being reformed is it really is focused on the glory of God. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. You got that? I know he does. <laughs> It's, it's why we exist, and the church is to make disciples to bring people to worship God. And this is discouraging, but look at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, Christ is with us always. Our churches are not perfect, all right? I know that I am presenting an image of a church that prob oh, sorry, probably doesn't exist, <laughs> all right? It, it doesn't exist, but it is something that we can aspire to, a church that focuses on worship, that does evangelism to make worshipers, it does it loves each other with the love that is in Christ Jesus. And it learns about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And when we get discouraged, and we will, remember that Jesus said he was with us. That is our hope. I got real excited when Michael sent me the bulletin because this is where I put in a plug for communion. <laughs> Next week you're going to have communion and you will have a reminder that Christ is with you. That's part of what feeding on him in communion means. He is with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for what it means that we can be followers of Christ. And we pray this week that you would give us every opportunity every day to worship you. And that in our worship, we would naturally share the gospel, not, not in any special program, but just who we are in a culture of evangelism. And that we might love one another with a spiritual love, with the love that is in Christ. And that we might learn and grow roots, God. Help us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.